Hello and welcome to the Sharpening Report. I am your host, Josh Pack. Well, the time has finally come for years and years. Before I even started working at Skywatch, I've been promising we will do an episode someday on the electric universe. I just had to find the right guest to do it because it's a topic I haven't had time to study in depth myself. I'd love to someday, but just other projects have gotten in the way. Uh, but I wanted to make sure we waited to get the right guest for it, and I think we got him. Lee Brainerd, he is a friend of the show. He's been on before. Lee, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Josh. It's good to be on with you again. I love you and the whole Sky Skywatch TV family. Oh, we all love you as well, and thank you so much for taking time to do this. For those who uh, may not be familiar with you and your work, can you just briefly introduce yourself? Yes, I've been an independent researcher for about 40 years. I was born again when I was in high school back in 1978, and since then, studying the Bible has been my entire life. Um, I do use the Greek and Hebrew with a great degree of fluency. I can use a little Latin and German. Um, I have written several books, one of which is selling very popular right now, The New Heavens and the New Earth. Oh, awesome. That's fantastic. Well, we'll have to have you back on for that. Okay, so let's let's jump right into this. Uh, you 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 were kind enough to send me some bullet points of, of topics. I appreciate that. That kind of follows uh, how we did the previous interview as well, and that that helps me out a lot. So thank you. Uh, so it, it introduce introduce this. Um, how do you how do you approach your research into uh, electric universe theory? Well, I've studied uh, the writings of different men. I started out by. Years ago, I came across a book called The Mars-Earth War, and the title intrigued me. I thought, this is really weird, but I wanted to read it because sometimes when you read into the stuff that looks quirky at first glance, you find out that it's not quite as quirky as it looks, and it actually you could wish that it would be mainstream teaching instead of fringe teaching. Mm -hmm. uh, that's what this book proved to be. Um, the book Mars Earth War was uh, by a brother Patton. He demonstrated from ancient history that the ancients worshipped the planets because the planets like Mars and Venus were on highly elliptical orbits that intersected with Earth on a fairly regular basis. Um, and sometimes, like about every hundred years, they came so close that they actually did damage here on Earth. They'd send fire and stones upon the Earth. And there would be an electrical interaction between Mars and the Earth, which would uh, cause, well, like plasma cutters, uh, which is what the electrical interactions were, giant plasma cutting torches. And they would come from Mars to Earth, and they'd gouge Earth, digging out canyons, and they would go from Earth to Mars, and they would gouge out canyons. This was in a, a, a difference in the electrical charge that was trying to equalize itself. It's similar to lightning. Mm. Well, so as I, I read this, I realized, well, all of ancient history is full of tales about the gods fighting and the gods having love affairs. And, and this is no doubt part of this picture. Well, it got me interested in the electric universe stuff, and I went to read books like by men like Emanuel Velikovsky. And then it led me to the modern group of teachers who uh, teach electric universe theory, and these include men of some, some top-notch scientists. This isn't just stuff coming from a quirky self-researcher that lives in North Dakota like myself. This is people that actually work in the actual uh, space technology fields and uh, cosmological research fields. So 
Oh, and the chief website for this that I use is thunderbolts.info. Anyway, that's just a brief introduction to how I got into it. Uh, Patton, Velikovsky, and thunderbolts.info. Tremendous amount of information. Very helpful on thunderbolts.info. Yeah, that's really interesting. So uh, for those who are brand new to this topic, can you kind of talk about the standard model, what what people generally, you know, in the scientific community believe about the universe and how, what what does electric universe say uh, that differs from that? Okay. Well, the standard model uh, is essentially that the universe is flat, that it's finite, and that it's expanding. Now, the galaxies themselves are not expanding. Uh, They're gravitationally bound. But the space in between the galaxies is expanding, and it's not technically, at least the way they explain it, they're not expanding because there's actual expansion going on. They're expanding because uh, space and time miraculously appear out of nowhere and from nothing, and just keep increasing the amount of space between the galaxies. So what's interesting is, here we have a universe that's flat, and it's finite, and it's expanding. Now, the electric universe model is very different. Oh, and by the way, I should explain that when you're talking about a flat universe, there's actually three different competing models for the flat universe. There's one that looks at it like it's flat like a sheet of paper, There's one that looks at it like it's flat, like an inverse saddle. And there's one that looks at it like it's flat in the sense of, if you can imagine a ball, the very thin ball, nothing exists on the inside and nothing exists on the outside. Um, Different groups prefer each of the different models. One of the most popular models is actually that the flat universe is actually a round ball Nothing exists outside of it. Nothing exists inside of it. Hmm. And so from that black hole, Big Bang, 12 billion years ago, or whatever they saw it was, this just expands out according to the cosmological principle, trying to maintain relatively equal distance between all the objects as they expand. Now, the electric universe is a very different model. It's not a flat universe. It's the universe looks to the human being like it's three-dimensional, we operate in a three-dimensional reality down here on Earth, and in reality, the universe in its entire expanse is actually three-dimensional. Looks three-dimensional, it is three-dimensional, and it's infinite. You can travel in a straight line at a thousand times the speed of light for a million years, and you will never get anywhere near the farthest reaches of the universe. And the universe is not expanding in the electric universe model. Uh, the universe, all, all the motion that we see in the universe is orbital motion. And it's all in radial equ- equilibrium. So that when you change the orbit of a planet, let's say Mars goes from its normal orbit to a very elliptical uh, orbit in the last days is part of one of God's judgments. The, the amount of energy in that orbit is going to be exactly the same as the amount of energy in its normal orbit. Hmm. <clears throat> hmm. Interesting. And, and does the, uh, you have a couple of Bible verses here. How, how does the Bible uh, speak to electric uh, universe? Well, the, the thing that I like to go to is the fact that in Romans chapter 1, we read about this universe testifies to God's infinite power and glory. 
And so in my mind, I think, okay, how can an extremely finite universe that's flat testify to an infinite God? Mm. Uh, if, if we have an infinite universe that s- extends to infinity in every direction, now we have something that not only can uh, man not make such a universe, he can't even conceive of such a universe. It, it'll actually fry our brain <laughs> trying to think of a universe that's infinite. But if we have this extremely finite universe, well, man can't create that, but he can wrap his mind around it. And I think we need to have a concept of the universe that is as big as the God that we serve. Mm. Yeah, that that is that is a really interesting way to think about that. And you're right, because I've I've tried thinking about you know infinity and eternity, you know, like a state outside of time, and it, it does it does it does kind of fry our brains. Um, you had you, you got some notes here, uh, observation on expansion versus creation. Can you explain that? What a lot of people don't understand about the Big Bang and the expanding universe is that they're really the same thing. Mm. There's a lot of Christians that in their apologetic approach, they they reject the Big Bang. And they're trying to stand for creation, whether they stand for a six-day creation model or whether they stand uh, for something along the lines uh, that has a gap theory in there, um, but they still have a direct immediate creation with an unknown gap and then six days for the creation of the Earth. doesn't matter which model you go to. It's a very different model than the Big Bang model. and But a lot of Christians will reject the Big Bang and embrace creation and yet still embrace the expanding universe because the entire uh, scientific world embraces the expanding universe. Um, but you, it's really inconsistent. The, the Big Bang is the cause and the expanding universe is the effect. You can't have an expanding universe without a Big Bang. And the only way to reconcile that, if you're an evangelical Christian, is to uh, embrace the idea of, well, God created it with the appearance of a, an age and the appearance of a Big Bang. And so that 99.99999% of all this expansion, is, is it was created with the appearance of expansion, and we only actually have 6,000 years of expansion. In my mind, when I go down that path, it, it just seems very ridiculous, and I just can't get myself to go there. Mm-hmm. And how does, how does like, the, the red shift play into this? Because that's, uh, that's what's used a lot to show that, you know, scientists will use that as evidence saying that there is this expansion happening. Um, well, how, how does that work with the uh, electric universe theory? Well, this is really one of the most interesting points of the whole subject. And if a person can wrap their mind around this, they're really going to come to a point where they see a fork in the road and they're going to have to choose between the standard model and an electric universe model. Um, Redshift, the whole concept of redshift, as far as using it for a distance ladder and using it to decide how far away stars are, arose in 1929 when Edward Hubble published a paper that's come to be known as the Hubble's constant or Hubble's law. And he was examining local universes that were close to, to our planet, and he thought that he saw a correlation between the, uh, the assumed or, or the estimated distance of the planets 
and the redshift. And according to their estimated distances, the farther away they were, the higher the redshift was. Well, he presented this to his peers in the uh, cosmology world. And, excuse me, they came to the, they, they jumped on this. They said, wow, this is Doppler effect and these things are moving away from us. Uh, this was an exciting discovery because they'd already embraced the expanding universe and the Big Bang because they had already embraced evolution. They wanted to keep God out of the picture. Well, fast forwards five years and Edward Hubble had rejected his own thesis because he noticed that he had made some mistakes with the data that he was plotting and the graphs that he had made. And there really was no correlation between the dimness of a star and uh, or its assumed or uh, estimated distance, and its redshift. It was really a mistake on his part. Mm. But the damage had been done, um, and, and the rest of the scientific world, they didn't reject it. They embraced it. And But what they had to do is because they could demonstrate scientifically with physical measurements that the nearest galaxies to us were not moving away from us. They had to take this principle and somehow put a magic barrier between the galaxies that are close to us and the distant galaxies. And the galaxies that are close to us are not affected by this expansion. They're not receding away from us. There's no cosmological recession. And the galaxies that are distant from us, they are affected by this recession. They are moving away from us. Now, this is really a mysterious or a bizarre concept for me that you arbitrarily decide that the local galaxies are not moving away from us and the distant galaxies are moving away from us. But it's actually very beneficial to those that did this because you can scientifically prove that the local galaxies are not moving away from us. Mm-hmm. But we don't have any way to measure those vast distances, so we've got no way to prove or disprove that the distant universes, our galaxies, I mean, are moving away from us. So, but here we, so here we have a theory based on the local universe that was debunked, mm-hmm. and yet men took that theory and applied it to the distant universe, and they still use it to this day. And what the theory says is that redshift is essentially, uh, it's basically testifying to how far away something is. That's that's what they're using it. They're using it to measure distance. Because if you know its speed, because the, the redshift is essentially speed, then you can take that and take an assumed acceleration curve, apply it to that data, and you can get the distance. And when they do this, they come up with vast distances. Some of these stars, they tell us, are hundreds, or some of these galaxies are hundreds of thousands of light years away. Um, that, But this distance ladder is based on assumptions, and it's not based on fact. Yeah, because one thing that's weird, too, is <clears throat> that they'll say that when, when you're looking at a galaxy that far, you're actually seeing what it was in the past, so, so that already kind of, to me, seems to throw a wrench in it because, um, 
you, you would be measuring the red shift of the galaxy from, you know, 100,000 years ago or whatever, however long ago. And there, there's nothing to say that it would be the same today. And that, that is something that I've never understood. And I, I, I haven't uh, heard a, a good answer for that on the traditional gravitational universe side. So that, that's really interesting to me. Um, you have something here, too. Uh, the saint's inheritance. How does that play, play into this? Yes, well, under the standard model of the universe, this universe is very finite, and it's expanding, but eventually that expansion is going to reach the farthest distance that it can, and then the laws of entropy are going to catch up, and it's going to now start decreasing in size, collapse back on itself, and the universe is going to vanish. Now, there is another model of the end of the universe, and of course the experts are going to debate this, um, where it's going to go to maximum expansion, and it won't collapse. It's just, it's just going to kind of just quit moving, and the whole universe is going to wind down into heat death, and we're going to descend into absolute zero, and nothing is ever going to move again. Well, I don't think either of these models is is really correct because if this is the universe that the saints are going to inherit, we're not inheriting very much at all. Mm-hmm. Now, in my book, The New Heavens and the New Earth, I point out that you can make about a dozen powerful arguments from the Bible that the new heavens and the new earth is our current heavens and earth refurbished by fire as opposed to the universe ceasing to exist and being replaced by a second ex nihilo recreation. Now, I'm not going to go into that, but I'm just giving it so that people can understand my answer here. Um, I'm operating on the principle that the current heavens that we look up and see and the current planet that we have our feet on, that this is what God has intended all along to give to the saints. And what's interesting about the electric universe model is that uh, this universe is not expanding, it's, and it's not going to die by heat death, and it's not going to die by collapse. It's not expanding at all. All the motion we see is orbital. This universe is designed to last forever. And this universe is actually a gigantic clock. Uh, we measure a year by, by the Earth's orbit around the sun. Now, who knows what we're going to call our solar system's orbit around the galaxy. Maybe we'll ultimately call it a galactic. But then you're going to have our galaxy's orbit around the galaxy cluster. And then our galaxy cluster's orbit around the supercluster. And this goes ad infinitum. Um, this universe can measure the most vast uh, measurements of time that the mind can comprehend. Now, there's other interesting things about this inheritance. The standard model of the sun is that every star in the universe is a nuclear reaction that's going to eventually burn out. Mm -hmm. Under the electric universe model, every star is a plasma discharge on a wireless system. And every galaxy is charged particles orbiting in a charged field, a magnetically charged field. Now, when you have charged particles orbiting around a magnetically charged field, you create electricity. Mm -hmm. Every galaxy is a giant electric motor that creates its own electricity to power all of its own stars. Mm. 
Hmm. and to energize every one of its solar systems. And by the way, I do believe that probably almost every solar system in our galaxy and in every galaxy has a Goldilocks zone and has planets that if they're not already ready for man to inherit, they can be terraformed. At any rate, that's a, that's a rabbit trail. But so you can see that, that the electric under, universe understanding presents a universe that's actually designed to be given to man for an eternal blessing. The stars are not going to burn out. They're going to give their light forever. Every galaxy is just, a, basically, it's a perpetual motor generating perpetual energy. Hmm. How do, do black holes work with the electric universe theory? Because uh, in the standard model, it's, uh, they, they say that galaxies are held together by a black hole in the center, pretty much. It's Absolutely. Well, in my mind, black holes are just fairy tales. Hmm. The, a, the reason that people postulated a black hole in the first place is there's less than 10% of the needed mass in the universe to hold galaxies together if they were held together by the force of gravity alone. Mm -hmm. And so they had to invent the concept of a black hole at the center of every galaxy because you needed a near-infinite source of gravity and from a near-infinite source of mass at the center of a galaxy to hold that galaxy together by the force of gravity. Now, the downside to the theory is that once something enters into a black hole, whether mass or energy, there's no escape. And that was held dogmatically for decades until they started taking photographs of the center of these galaxies and they would see this, what they called the black hole, but they'd see a North Pole and a South Pole or these big jets of energy coming out the North and the South of these galaxies or the top and the bottom. And so now, now what are we doing? We, we said that uh, energy and matter can't escape from a black hole, and now we see it escaping. So now they just wave their magic wand and come up with the idea of an accretion belt. And accretion belt, you just tighten this baby up, and it squishes the black hole from which nothing can escape, and it causes stuff to escape. Well, in the electric universe model, we don't have things like black holes or accretion disks or accretion belts or whatever you're going to call them. We don't have uh, dark matter or dark energy. What you see is what you get. And now here's what's really interesting. Because in the electric universe model, the galaxy is not held together by gravity. Hmm. The galaxy is held together by, uh, it, well, it's held together by the electromagnetic energy. Now, what's interesting about this, if I'm not mistaken, uh, the electromagnetic energy is 10 to the 32nd power stronger than gravity. Yeah. If you take a, a fender washer and you set it on a table, the whole gravity of the planet is holding that fender washer to the table. But you can take a dime store plastic magnetized fridge magnet and lift that washer off the table. Mm -hmm. And this little flimsy piece of magnetized plastic overcomes the gravitational force of the entire planet. Gravity is a billion times a billion times a billion times a billion times weaker than electromagnetic energy. So it's 10 to the 36 power stronger than gravity, the electromagnetic energy is. And once you go this direction, now you have something that uh, travels at, well, 
they estimate that this is thousands of times faster than the speed of light, these invisible forces of electromagnetic energy. Mm. When uh, when they took that picture of the black hole with the, I forget which telescope it was, uh, what what do you think that actually was? Do you think that was something else, or do you think they just made that up, or, or, or what? Well, I think they're actually looking at the center of a galaxy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think in the center of these galaxies, there, there are typically dark spots where you don't have stars. Mm-hmm. And l- let's simplify our model, and then we can understand what we're talking about. Yeah. Um, if you have a binary or a trinary stars, they orbit around a shared center of gravity. They're not... You can have binary stars where one orbits around the other, but the most common binary star is where two stars orbit together around a shared center of gravity. Mm -hmm. Now, if you can wrap your mind around that, now all we have to do is expand this idea, and we can have 100 million or a billion stars or solar systems orbiting around a shared center of gravity at the center of the galaxy oh interesting yeah so just by nature there wouldn't be uh stars and stuff in there by nature it would it would be a a type of darkness in the in the center that's really interesting uh how does this uh fit in with uh things like roman 8 17 and revelation 21 1 uh you have another section here also called the saints inheritance and uh, you you go into it a little bit more can you can you get into that well, we read about in Revelation uh, 21.1 about the new heavens and the new earth. And uh, I, I love this subject. It's why I wrote a book on the subject. Uh, we're going to have some amazing blessings that are going to come in the millennium, in this new heavens and the new earth that we're going to enjoy. And what's a blessing about this from the electric universe perspective is that the phenomena that we're going to be enjoying down here on earth are much easier to explain with an electric universe model that there's like billions of times more power readily available than you have. that's simply available uh, by the explanation of, of gravity. And for instance, uh, in one of the blessings that we read about in the kingdom is that this, we're going to have the day is going to be uh, like seven times the light of seven days, and the night will be like the light of the day. Mm-hmm. What this is going to be amazing blessing is we're going to have seven times the available candle power. Now, if we're already postulating like the increase of the oxygen that's available, the increase of the carbon dioxide that's available, reducing the nitrogen in the air, you're, this is going to be insane. Uh, blessings for plant growth if they have increased oxygen increased carbon dioxide and uh, increased sunlight the the growth will explode and and if you moderate the climates uh, here's an interesting thing too uh, on this sun now uh, a lot of people would say well if if the day is seven times brighter and the night is as bright as the day then we won't see the stars well that is a problem under the standard model of the universe. Mm-hmm. But under the electric model of the universe, all God has to do is take his little heaven pad and punch a few buttons, and he dials up the entire galaxy, the entire universe, so that if our sun is seven times brighter, every star will be seven times brighter, and so that no matter, even if we have, uh, like, it's almost day at night, we would still see the stars. Wow. Wow. That's phenomenal then, to think about. 
Yes, uh, because everything is on a wireless circuit. Uh, every star in a galaxy is connected by a wireless circuit. You can see many of these wireless uh, uh, wires because they call them filaments. You can see them in photographs of galaxies. And then the galaxies are connected by filaments that go from galaxy to galaxy and from galaxy cluster to galaxy cluster. So everything is connected on a massive wireless circuit. Now, here's some other interesting things about the second coming in the kingdom. Um, we're going to have moderated climates in the kingdom. Uh, one of these changes is going to simply be, for instance, if if the, we read that the sun is, or pardon me, we read that there's going to be a roll of the earth. The earth is going to be shaken and rolled at the second coming. The stars are going to fall. The sky is going to roll like a scroll. Now, some people take this sky rolling like a scroll, and they say, well, God's just going to roll the flat universe up and throw it away. Well, first of all, it doesn't say that he rolls it up so you see nothing. He just says that the sky is going to roll like a scroll. In other words, you're going to see the stars moving across the sky at the second coming, just like you see letters rolling across the scroll. A scroll. There's there's no conception here, no implication, no insinuation that the universe is going to be rolled up and thrown away. Now, what would cause this roll? Well, if you have two magnetized bodies, like another planet that's of a large size, come by the Earth as part of God's judgment that sends fire on the Earth at the second coming, that would cause the Earth to roll. Now, this roll with the hand of God on it could roll in such a way so that Siberia is no longer such a northern climate. It's rolled farther south. Its climate is made more temperate. If Siberia rolls farther south, then Antarctica is going to roll farther north. Both of those climates would be more temperate. Now, also, if the same time that we had this roll, the, the Earth went from its present tilt to a tilt that was more favorable to warmer weather, with, with you know, then with uh, less climate extremes. Now, that is also going to be a great blessing. And so there's going to be some amazing changes coming at the second coming when the Lord uses the powers in the heavens, which have been shaken, to adjust this earth, to tilt it and to roll it just the way he wants so that we get maximum benefit from the sun in the kingdom. Wow. Yeah, that's fantastic. So do you think that the... Um, uh, Create the recreation, new heavens and new earth that God is going to use, say, Mars or one of the other planets to, to fly by and kind of scorch earth to, to recreate it? I, I, I do. Um, here's a very interesting thought. Um, the rapture is the morning star. Shortly after the rapture, the whole Gog and Magog juggernaut is destroyed by fire from heaven. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, fire falls on Magog and on those that dwell carelessly in the isles. Now, a lot of people say, well, this is just nuclear warfare. But I say, well, wait a minute. The analogy of Scripture, the precedent of Scripture, is literally fire falling from heaven, not nuclear warheads. Right. That doesn't mean there is no nuclear warheads used in the last days in the wars. There may well be. But this is fire falling from heaven. This is not man's judgment upon man. This is not man's stupidity destroying the planet. This is the judgment of God that he's programmed into his universe, into his solar system, thousands of years ago to happen on the exact day, hour, and minute. 
And so I, I think that, that it, we could well see that something is going to happen in the future where in the next two, three years, the whole world is going to get shook up and panic because something in maybe this is this missing ninth planet. Maybe this is that uh, mysterious sun, that brown dwarf that's supposed to be out there that's, that's our solar system's twin. Who, who knows what it is? But something out there is going to happen that's going to knock the powers of the heavens loose. We read in Luke 21, 26, the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. And we read that men's hearts are going to fail them for fear because of the things that are coming upon the earth from the heavens. Now, what's interesting here, this word powers, I believe should be understood as planets because we have already read about the sun and the moon and the stars. The only thing left in the analogy is the planets. Mm. And the Greek word translated powers is dunamai. You look back in the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, you see this word used in the formula that the ancients worship the sun, the moon, the stars, and the powers of heavens. Mm. Um, they, they worship the planets. And so I think that this is a legitimate conception, that they're looking at things that are coming towards the earth, they're terrified. So I've wondered, just a theory, just a wondering, wondering aloud. When we realize that, that Venus has been knocked loose from its orbit and it's on a trajectory to make a near pass of Earth, then maybe at the time that the literal morning stars, the Lord Jesus Christ, takes up his church, at the same time we have a figurative morning star in the heavens heading towards the Earth. And that shortly after the rapture of the church, this body would be the body that drops literal fire and brimstone on the Gog and Magog juggernaut, drops it on Magog, drops it on those that dwell carelessly in the isles. And by the way, the isles is, is all those lands that are outside the biblical crescent around the Mediterranean, which is, which is the Mediterranean Europe. It's the Middle East. It's, it's Northern Africa. Anything outside of that area is regarded as the Isles. And so that includes North America, Northern Europe, South America, China, India. It includes the whole ball of wax. That fire is going to fall across the globe, create a tremendous uproar following the rapture. Wow. But then, then at the middle of the 70th week, we read about the great red dragon that sweeps his tail and a third of the stars fall to Earth. Right. Well, we know that the literal red dragon is is going to be the dragon himself. Mm -hmm. In the middle of the 70th week, the dragon and all of his fallen angels are cast out of heaven permanently forever. No more access to the Father. Never again get an access to accuse the brethren. But while this is happening, I, I suspect that while this is happening, we're going to see the figurative red dragon, which is Mars, uh -huh. make a near pass of Earth, cause the earth to roll and, and change the stars that you see in the northern hemisphere and the stars that you see in the southern hemisphere so that each of those hemispheres lose a third of their stars and they've got a new star chart and new constellations. Wow. And wow. then, of course, we come on to the second coming and we've got another roll that happens there. And at this point, um, you might be able to figure out which planets it likely would be if you were 
really good with your math and could calculate the orbits. Um, but we can really, I think, I can only es guesstimate or estimate or speculate, and probably that's really where most of us are going to be at. What's going to happen at the second coming? Yeah. So. Well, we have a lot more to talk about, including the possibility that some of these planetary flybys may have happened in the ancient past, may have even changed the worldwide calendar system. Did there used to be a, an actual 360-day year? Uh, we're going to have to talk with Lee on the other side of the break. Uh, stick with us right after this. Concerning the economically unstable times that we live in, it is a great idea to convert some of your savings into real money. Now, there is a big difference between real money and what we call money, which is actually just currency. So our dollar is currency, which fluctuates. Real money, on the other hand, like silver, for example, is a store of value over time. The best way to think of it is like this. If you had saved $1,000 in cash back in the late 60s, the late 1960s, that $1,000 would still be $1,000 technically, but it would buy you significantly less today due to inflation. Now, if you had saved that same $1,000 in silver, back in the 1960s. Today, it would be worth around $28,000. So one of the best ways to protect your purchasing power is in real money, more specifically, silver. You can buy and have the metal shipped discreetly to your door, and what most people don't know is that you can actually convert your IRA or even a 401k into physical silver, rather than having all of your life savings tied up in the paper fiat system which is subject to hyperinflation. Go to dailyrenegade.com and click on the Cornerstone Assets Metals banner. This is the only company that I personally trust with this kind of thing. Click on that and sign up to get your free silver report today. One of the financial experts will speak with you to find out the best way to protect your savings going forward in these uncertain times. All right, welcome back. Um, what we're going to do, if you haven't had a chance, head on over to dailyrenegade.com, get a subscription, and you can get the rest of this interview. We talk about a lot more exciting stuff. It goes on for quite some time, and you're not going to want to miss it. So head on over to dailyrenegade.com right now. Uh, it's either $10 a month or $100 a year. If you can do it, I suggest doing the $100 a year because it's technically cheaper, and we're all looking to find ways that we can save money these days. But uh, it's technically cheaper doing it that way. That way you're only paying for 10 months, not 12, but you are getting the benefit of a full year. So for the rest of this interview with Lee Brainerd, head on over to dailyrenegade.com, get a subscription today and join the family. We'd love to have you. All right. So for all of those viewing for free on YouTube, Rumble and elsewhere, thank you so much for joining us. Um, members, if you are already a member, uh, just hang on the line. If you're viewing this on the website, everybody else, love y'all. Take care. God bless.